Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean Mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic, any time. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end of the program, where we're going to share some exciting news and opportunities, especially relating to our guests today. And please feel free to share this with people who you know, who will also find it of interest. So today, I am so excited. It's going to be a um, multi-sensory conversation, albeit that you're listening to it through one sense, through audio. David Kern has written and directed documentary films in Nepal, South Africa, India, Israel, and Cuba. His passion is to tell cinematic stories about the miraculous things God is doing on the earth in our time. He and his wife, Natalie, and their three sons live in Nashville. And I I refer to uh, this being the original Bible Belt. So we can say that David is coming to us today from the buckle of the Bible Belt. Um, Dave, I have to just, you know, this is not a formal introduction, but David and I had such fun together in June when I was in Nashville hosting one of the best events I've ever done called Nashville Voices for Israel. Unfortunately, the audio and the video didn't come out really well. We're going to have to employ his good, his good sense next time we do something like that. But David was fun and interactive. And I just can picture him. If you can picture a guy sitting up with one leg on a chair, just facing and having a conversation like we're sitting in each other's living room, um, having a great conversation. And today we're going to be discussing. Well, it's it, again, as I said, it's multi-sensory because David, in addition to what I mentioned in his bio about writing and directing documentaries is also the author of an incredible book. And the book is called I Am Israel, The Believer's Guide to the Rebirth of the Promised Land. Now, all month, as part of Inspiration from Zion, we've been offering this book as an opportunity for you, our listeners, to get a free copy. And we're going to remind you how to do that at the end of the uh, program. And not just a copy of his really incredible book, but a copy of the film. So today we're going to be talking about both the film and the book. And David, I've rambled enough. I just want to welcome you. It is fun to have you. I'm just blessed that we're going to have this conversation, just the two of us, and let our friends listen. Shalom, Jonathan. Shalom from Nashville. Yeah, it's great. See, I get to see you, which is really nice. Our our listeners are just going to have to imagine how cool that is. Uh, So David, I I want to jump in, but I want to start talking before we go into the film and the book and the... In case I don't say it, the book is breathtaking. Um, you've got such an amazing eye, and the photos were stirring. Uh, and we're going to talk about it, but I feel like I'm afraid that that I'm going to m- miss mentioning that. So I wanted to set, say that up front. The photos are stunning. The I felt like I was looking at a at like an album of my family and my family's history, and then I realized, yes. It is because my some some of those great black and white photos were from when my father was here as a child, and then more than just me and my family, it's the it's the the history of our people here in in the land, and I love that. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But before we get into that, I just like for you to share about yourself. Where and when did you get tapped? Did you get called to be this incredible? documentary and now publishing advocate for Israel and how does that how did that come out of your faith and how did that uh, how does that affect your faith well I appreciate uh, the question I appreciate you letting me come on your show I'm a big fan of everything that you're that you're involved in man um so so the Israel thing uh came about just a number of years ago I've I've uh I kind of grew up 
I grew up as a as a believer most of my most of my life here in Nashville, and uh, I uh, I grew up sort of with the benefit of being around a lot of people in the creative world here in Nashville, where either they were making a living being creative or their or their father was doing that. So it never it never scared me to get into the film stuff uh, in terms of in terms of doing that as a career. Um, and it, it was probably because I was able to grow up with a lot of people around here and I saw it, I saw other people being successful doing that. So I've been, I've been running around with the camera since I was about 13. Um, uh, loved Steven Spielberg growing up, George Lucas, Walt Disney, um, loved, I guess I say that because I loved the, the uplifting stuff. Like, uh, when I, when I'd be around other artists, when I'd be in my, uh, teenage years or in my twenties, uh, a lot of other artists w- want to go dark. They want to go like my favorite guy was Walt Disney. Their favorite guy was Tarantino, you know, and I never, I, I didn't really connect so much with that because I always wanted to, to be inspiring and talk about the the beautiful things of uh, in, in life, like Spielberg and like the adventure stuff that George Lucas would do. Um, I'd done a film in at Mount Everest and then in South Africa. Wow and a few other places. And um, I was finishing up this film that I'd done in South Africa. And right as I was finishing this thing up, a, a really close friend of mine who is now he's a Walmart executive. So he comes from the business world. Um, he, uh, he called me and said, David, God told me to go to Israel and to take you with me. What and year I was said, this? This was 2014. Okay. Okay. Uh, and, and it was going to be, it was going to be a, a great, you know, it was just, it was just a trip out of nowhere and he was going to cover everything. And I was like, great. Hey, this is the, <laughs> this is the, that's the greatest. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, three weeks later or something, we, we left for Israel. Um, I was super excited because I loved Lawrence of Arabia growing up. Um, I loved Raiders of the Lost Ark growing up. And so I was looking at this as, uh, as like a biblical adventure yeah. get to go. There was no plan though. It was, it was as simple as that. God told me to go and take you with me. And, and we were going to be hosted by somebody that he knew that I did not know, which was uh, Tommy Waller. So we flew, we had an unusual, by today's standards, we had an unusual trip because we flew to the airport and went straight to the mountains of Samaria. Um, we did not fly to the airport and then do the, you know, a beach hotel right away. Right, or, or right. We went straight to the mountains of Samaria and it was, uh, it was really incredible because that trip, it was, it was all about the people of Israel and it was all about the lands of Israel that whole, it was in the spring. And so there was, there was a lot of green in, in the, in the land and every, Every meal we had pretty much, it was breakfast, lunch, coffee, dinner with Jewish people in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And it was just hearing their, hearing that is just, it was, it was asking a few questions, but it was really just listening. It was just listening to, uh, to their personal stories of whatever they wanted to talk about. And the, this, the theme kept coming up. Ev- almost everybody that we talked to, they were telling, us how they came to Israel or their father or their grandfather, how they came to Israel, how they came to live here. Uh, they were telling their, I didn't know the word at the time, Aliyah, but they were telling us their Aliyah story. Right. And after it was a 10 day trip, after a couple of days, you know, I, I'm not the smartest guy, but I started to recognize this. It was the same, they, you know, these unconnected people were telling us the same stories. And um, I was like, this is somewhere in the Bible, like what, like <laughs> they're, they're telling us something that I've read before once or twice. And, uh, and I found that, that in Jeremiah, two different times, it says that uh, God says, no longer will you, will you talk about how I brought you out of Egypt, but you're right. going to be talking about how I brought you from the North and the South and the East and the West. And I was like, Whoa, this is like what everybody's talking about. So there was that theme there, but there was another theme that, uh, that I could not have foreseen either, which was, which was the land. Um, there was one moment in particular where we were driving, uh, we were cresting a hill in the Golan Heights and we came to the top of the hill and 
as far as the eye could see was just rich colors of green and dark green leaves on the trees and just grass as far as you could see. And the mountains in the distance were green. And I said, this, I mean, this looks like Kansas, or this looks like the, the, this looks like parts of Tennessee. This looks like pieces of the American, uh, you know, the Midwest. And I said, this is absolutely gorgeous. And immediately as the, as a, the storytelling thing kind of switched into my oh. mind. And I said, nobody that I know anyway has seen this. Nobody, nobody sees how gorgeous this, this land is. Um, it seems like everything that I'd seen in the news and on even on documentaries and stuff, all the, the colors that you would see in the, in the news and on Israel documentaries was always sandy, you know, um, and it was and it was all about, you know, it was all about smoke. If, if anybody ever yep. did anything on the Temple Mount, it would be it would be like, oh, this is not a place that you'd ever want to visit. And that it was almost like it was intentional, like the, like the the storytellers, whether they were media or filmmakers, were showing Israel in a certain way. And I felt like Israel that I was seeing had never, as far as I had seen anyway, had never really been shown before. Um, and it really, it, you know, on that trip, it really, uh, that, 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 that switched. So I want to just interject. I mean, it's amazing that you're saying that. And I hope that our listeners can, can begin to kind of close their eyes and imagine it, even if they haven't seen it yet. Although, Hopefully those who have know and, and, and those who haven't will come here and see it. But but as you're talking, I'm thinking you've got such a great skill. You you make these beautiful documentaries. The book, as I already said, is stunning. And I just kind of want to rent out your eyes as a fundraiser because for people to be able to see things the way you see them, and you just described it. You were like talking about the the shades of green and the hills and the mountain. It's beautiful. And then you get behind a lens. Whether it's produce, whether it's capturing still images or whether it's capturing video, and you've just got this great way of 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 doing that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, so so okay. So you got you got bitten in 2014. You were here. How many times you've been back? Oh, uh, I forgot. But it's it's uh, the uh, maybe ten times I've been yeah. back. Okay, that's not. Can bad. I tell you on yeah. that trip? the on that on the same day that we we crested the Golan Heights and we saw this green that was actually the the very same day that this title which has grown into so many other things this title in Israel came about because this is this uh, it's I think it's actually a pretty interesting fun story what happened was Tommy Waller who's a who's a Christian farmer who's done uh 15 plus years in Israel with his family and 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 helped the Jewish people, especially with the agriculture. He was telling me, he was telling me that every time he would go to Washington to try to advocate for Israel, um, every time he would even go to even ministers and try to try to explain the situation um, in terms of the land and, and the people and the, and, the, and the Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, they always ran into this problem where once they started talking about Judea, Samaria, a.k.a. what they call the West Bank, whenever they were talking about that, people didn't have any understanding. Right. And when you really boiled it down, the world, as they still do, the world does not consider the Jewish people who live in Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, and even the Golan Heights to be Israel. Correct. That's not Israel. And so so it's the, it's the simplest thing ever. I said, well, why don't we just make a film that's called I Am Israel? <laughs> and the majority of those stories, the Brilliant. majority of the focus, the majority of the locations in the book and in the movies that we do, it's all this, you know, people in places that the world is saying, oh, you're not Israel. And it's crazy to me because after that, we started to make a list of like, okay, the places that the world is saying is not Israel. What are those places? And it's like almost everything you would actually read in the Bible. Right. It's no, it, it, it is the it is the heart of the Bible, though. There's no there's no other yeah. definition. You're talking about where all the almost all the action took place. It's it's unbelievable. And people and even the term West Bank really means the West Bank of Jordan. So so it, so it's like this. OK, what does that mean? That means according to the world, the the most of Jerusalem is located in Jordan. 
the uh, Joshua's altar, Joseph's tomb, the tomb of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is located in on the West Bank of Jordan. And for, Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, where, where the sure. hills here, where King David hid out from King Saul. I mean, every, yeah, that's all, that's nothing to do with the Bible, does, is it? It's, 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 it's just a mess. It's just a right. mess. And even for the Christian listeners that have visited Jerusalem and gone and had like a worship moment at the garden tomb, yeah. which is this gorgeous place. Um, There's a great picture. That, I assume that's you and your wife in the book, right? It is. That, okay. I was, we were filming a music video for Michael W. Smith and we, we took that. It was early morning. So that, yeah, that, a little bit of that's in the book, but even that spot, um, according to the world, that's the garden tomb is located in the West Bank of Jordan. Right. So it's just it's it's really a narrative war, you know, yes. and we wanted to connect. We wanted to connect uh, readers and viewers with um, with and get into this a little bit with the films. I'm, and stuff. I'm glad you shared that. I didn't know that background and the film. I, I remember the first time you and I met. I don't remember what year it was, but I, I could walk back exactly to that place in Orlando where we were. And uh, and I remember it vividly, but I, I write a lot. I do these podcasts and webinars and I'll freely refer to the West Bank. And I do that even though I live, I mean, not even though, especially I live in the West Bank. I live in Judea, in the Judean mountains, but I do it because that's the term that most people understand. But I do what you do, what you've done from a, from a cinematograph, cinem, what's the word? Cinem- yeah, cinematic, cinematic a cinematic perspective. I do it in, in writing or just verbally, but just simply by redefining it. Okay, you want to call it the West Bank? Let's talk about what is the West Bank. Let's talk about if you could look out the window behind me to the west, the original highway, if you will, that went from Jerusalem down to the coast by Hebron. It's today we call it the, the highway, the uh, pathway of the patriarchs, but it's not just a dirt road. That was the highway. That's how people commuted. And that's essentially biblical. So I, I help people redefine it. And, and a lot of people have a bias and, and, and that helps pick it apart. But a lot of people are completely ignorant. And I don't want to, I don't want to get hostile with people who just don't know. I'll just go into their terms and define it. And you do that also beautifully. And I love, I never, I didn't know that about the, the film. Just call it I am Israel and define what Israel is. Yeah. Can it help? I think it helps because I was totally ignorant. I was totally ignorant. If somebody, uh, 2014, you know, in my early thirties, uh, if somebody had said the West Bank, I would have absolutely no idea what they're talking about because it's not something, um, it's, and I think this is a normal thing for a lot of believers that live in the United States. Um, Israel, we, we appreciate and love Israel and we also read the Bible quite a bit. But in terms of what what has transpired in the last um, 10 years, 20 years, 100 years, we're not experts on that. And um, so me coming from a totally ignorant point of view um, and then getting getting the 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 God given privilege of being able to actually meet people like you. um, uh, I think my role is to kind of take take what I see and then put it into uh, into films and into the book forms. So that, so that, cause the fact is most people are not going to be able to go to Israel. Most people that are Bible believers are really not going to be able to, it's, I don't know what the percentage is, but is it, it might be 1%, 2% of people alive on the earth right now that are actually going to get to go. So we have to, one of the goals of I am Israel is to bring the land of the Bible to, Beautiful. to you, to people, to people in Europe, people in Africa, people. We just mailed a book to Nigeria yesterday to a Love school in, in Nigeria. So, so yeah, that's, it helps that I was ignorant <laughs> in terms of some of these storytelling things. Well, you're seeing it through on, on, on a clean slate and you were able to grasp it and, and, and reinterpret. That's amazing. Um, I want to, take a break and actually since you just set it up by saying most people aren't going to get to come to israel we're going to take a break and talk to uh, and, and share with people how they can come to israel virtually for free with run for zion as a shameless plug and then i want to come back and i want to talk about a, a the, the chicken and the egg between your book and your and your film so hold on we're going to come right back when you think of jerusalem you probably think of its historic and biblical sites Run for Zion is a trip unlike any other. 
you will join tens of thousands of Israelis interacting with Jerusalem as you never have and never imagined you would. You'll connect with and bless Israelis of all backgrounds. If you've never been to Israel and are dying to come visit or haven't been for a while and can't wait to get back, Run for Zion is the opportunity for you. And now, if you register today, you can join us for as little as $29. Yes, that's for real, just $29. Run for Zion is a pilgrimage and service experience that gets you out of the tour bus, interacting with the people and the land. Check out runforzion.com for details and come run for Zion and bless Israel with every step. Okay, so David, yeah, and actually as I as I went to the break, I realize also to your credit and, and, and with gratitude, you're also, you've also been uh, promoting Run for Zion and, and I'm excited. I hope people will, will come along. It's a great program. I'm not doing a plug for that now other than what we just did, but, um, but it is a great opportunity to see and experience the land and, and literally to be able to do so um, almost for free. But it, so, so life is a series of chicken and egg moments, right? And there's a big debate. What you know, you know, you get everyone knows what the chicken and egg. I, I assume, and if they don't, they can text me or send me an email, and I'll explain it. <laughs> but I, I, but the film was your chicken or egg, right? It was the first, right, right, or chicken and, or egg, <laughs> yeah, whichever whichever one is first, and and that has inspired so many. First of all, the film. I didn't I didn't note when we were talking about it. It's worth noting the film. Has sold over fifty thousand copies. It's screened in uh, ten thousand congregations and been seen in one hundred and forty-three countries and aired on multiple TV networks. Uh, featured on the Seven Hundred Club, Fox News, Glenn Beck, Charisma, American Family Radio, and the Jerusalem Post, and also was screened in the Knesset, the first uh, Christian-produced film to to have that honor. Um, it's impressive. It's very well done. It's a lovely way of connecting a bunch of people and their stories with with people like we try to do, as I say in the intro, to give a window to look through about aspects of life here. So if that was the first, for uh, what, I, what I'd love to know before we get into the nitty gritty of the film and then the book, um, what did, what did, when, when actually doing the film, what did you learn? What were your three big takeaways? Um, three big takeaways doing the film. Number one, I had the time of my life because uh, we were, we were filming for two months and my wife was with me the whole time. And, uh, when I'd done other films, uh, overseas that hadn't happened. And it was amazing because I felt like, I felt like home was with me, meaning I could, we filmed for two months and I could have stayed for, uh, for as long as it took. And I absolutely loved that. And she's really my creative partner that, uh, if I have a good idea, she will recognize that. And if I have a bad idea, she will recognize. And so we can, it's, it's, it's just the greatest thing. The best moment of the entire two months of filming the first movie was having a Shabbat afternoon lunch with, uh, with near Levi and in Samaria and the, the, which near is, uh, is an Orthodox Jew that was really instrumental in bringing the first vineyards to the mountains of Samaria and it was just unbelievable just 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 to have a sabbath lunch with a big jewish family and to be invited in and it was there was probably on multiple levels why that was just so amazing but it's just to be i was just thinking god how on earth have you given us the privilege of actually being here of actually being able to be involved because i feel like what is happening in pockets of israel in the mountains of Israel and in Jerusalem and everywhere is so biblical. It's like straight out of straight out of the prophets. And I, there's a line in the movie, maybe because I was able to participate in some things there in, in the biblical feast days and in Shabbat with the Jewish people. It, it all, it also struck me that not since the days of the first century have so many Jewish families celebrated the Sabbath, celebrated Passover, celebrated all of the holy days in Israel until this moment. Correct. And so I could be, we were there during Feast of Tabernacles and you could go to the top of a mountain and look out all during the, during one of the rest days, during one of the Shabbat days, during the Feast of Tabernacles and look out all through those mountains and look towards Jerusalem 
and just know every every Jewish family is celebrating right now. Yeah, all the twinkling lights. They're in their tabernacles. They're in their sukkahs. They're having. They're eating with their families. And just as far as the eye could see, you, you know that the entire nation is celebrating this biblical holy day, and that just that just right. just blew my mind because it's just so it's so biblical. So, but I want to ask you something again because you're this you're this visual guy. You've got this great prism through which you see things and are able to share. But a lot of listeners who are who are Christian won't understand that you're talking about your first Shabbat meal in the home of an orthodox jew and that means you didn't have your cameras rolling you didn't have your phone in your hand snapping pictures and when i have christian friends who come here for shabbat i i my line is this is a kodak moment in your heart but that's got to be frustrating for you right you because you like if that was your first moment there must have been dozens of things that you just wanted to capture do you remember any can you can you picture those First of all, I love that. I love, I love what you're talking about. It's so much fun. I grew up, so I was born in 1982. I remember what it was like to not have a phone. Right. And so some of these moments where you don't have any communication, you know, it's like, it's like, oh, this is like when I was in Boy Scout camps when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, so I love it. Actually, it, it makes the things, you know, we have to be able to communicate, you know, but at the same time, the anxiety does go down when you don't, when there's no pressure. But um, I felt so, and this is so, this is so serious, so true. Natalie and I felt so privileged to just be able to be invited and be a part of the the holidays and also the Shabbat dinners and things. It 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 was it was like, listen, whatever the rules are, we are down for it. We were down for it. And so what we actually did uh, in the film and in the book too, uh, uh, the Nears family, we actually faked an early Shabbat um, where the family was getting ready and the candles were being lit. We faked that uh, in the Friday afternoon um, and we were able to capture it. So they almost did like a dry run. and And then we did the real thing later. That's right. Yeah, I've actually been asked uh, by Christian TV to to uh, do a fake uh, Passover seder. Um, so that's because cool. again, saying like like all the festivals, where there's no there's no filming, no electronics, um, but it is a beautiful moment. Um, the the films was a was and is a huge success, and, and I suppose continues to be. And and that's one of the great things, by the way. People should listen to the end and. And they'll figure out how they can get a copy of the film and they can get a copy of the book as a promotion that we're doing. Um, and thank you for the donation of that to be able to do it. Um, but w- where, what, what's the, if people are only doing one or the other, watching your film or getting a book, what's the one outtake from the film that everybody has to know? Not outtakes like the, like the, 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 the mistakes, but the, the, the one thing that you, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Oh man. I, um, I, I guess number one would be just so simple and so elementary. Uh, number one would be, it shows proof that God is active and on the move in the earth right now, that wow. uh, the promises of God can be trusted. And that even though it took a long time from the first century up until the very late 1800s, um, those promises started to get kicked off again in the late 1800s in terms of the rebirth of the land and the return of the Jewish people. And uh, it, I think it just shows that if we're living in the time when a lot of these promises are uh, being kept and being fulfilled, and it should give confidence to the believer that they can trust, uh, they can trust the word of God through great times and through hard times um, but number two, I would I would hope that after after and that's a personal thing, and you can be a Jew or a Christian and recognize that um, yes. on the Christian side, as as they would see the movie or or read the book, I would hope that they would want to be a defender of Israel, protector of Israel. I would hope that they would want to be an advocate, um, not in terms of some political big deal, but just in their hearts to be uh, to to love the Jewish people and recognize the Jewish people as, as being chosen 
to to it's you know the whole chosen thing is interesting because people get everybody wants to be god's firstborn you know uh everybody wants to be the the chosen uh the the number one you know but the jewish people were really chosen in order to bring the word of god to the entire earth through the promises of god through the prophecies through the land is also so important the 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 reason we call it the holy land uh the chosen land of god is not because it's magical or mystical or not because it's um uh, it's you know there's pixie dust or something in the holy land but <laughs> holy just meaning it's it's very simple it's just set apart from the rest of the world holy land this land itself is just different it's set apart by god from the rest of the world and it has purposes and it's really the center the centerpiece of uh of the word of god and from that land the entire world would uh hear and understand the full knowledge of god and it all comes out from from that land um the, you know this is really jumping ahead but the sequel to i am israel is all about the most chosen place in the chosen land it, which is the which is the temple mount and mount zion the yeah, i heard you have some pretty good talent in that film <laughs> it's good it's amazing for the listeners jonathan is is we interviewed him in a beautiful place in jerusalem talking about talking about the mountain of god and it was a lot of fun. It was a beautiful day when we did that. But yeah, uh, for the record, I have no uh, no financial stake. It's just a blessing <laughs> to to be part of it. Um, now, it, it uh, David, you have such a beautiful way of describing things, and I and I can't wait for people to once once this conversation ends to you know to reach out to you. I am Israel dot com is a website right where people can can find you and check out the film, and I assume the book as well. There, right? Okay, but yeah. I want to I want to pun intended, I suppose, flip to the book. You just spoke so beautifully about all of the things, the prophecies, how you see God's hand here, and it's and, and, and a beautiful definition of what chosen and set apart is. There's one word you didn't use that's that, that you kind of walk, walked around, but it's in the title of the book that I want to focus on. I am Israel, the believer's guide to the rebirth of the promised land. You were just speaking about the rebirth. But why? I mean, that's a very profound title rebirth is real significant why why did you have that subtitle to the book rebirth is something that 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 even god talks about not even not not just in the prophets but going all the way back to deuteronomy you know at the end of at when they're when they're in the desert and they're right about to come into the holy land for the very first time god kind of lays out we're about to go in uh, Joshua's going to lead everybody in, but this is what's going to happen. Um, and it says there's going to be, there's, there will be an exile and then there will be a return. And that happens before they even get in for the first time in Deuteronomy. And the rebirth is really what is, what we're living through, what, what our parents and grandparents have been living through, um, in the last, uh, hundred years or so, a little longer. Um, but the, the prologue, the opening, well, the opening chapter of the book, uh goes through all of the different rebirth themes that are are that are underway um we're talking about the rebirth of the land it used to be a place of desolation and now it is bursting forth with color and life um the return of the jewish people which which i think is tied to the land i think once the once the you said about chicken and egg and this is actually an interesting question about Excellent. what what was it first did the return of the Jewish people make the land come back to life or did the land start to wake up at the at, right? And then the Jewish people started to return in the late 1800s. Great question. It, you know, it, but I think, I think everything, which is also why the temple man is so important that everything is tied to the land. Um, the rebirth of the Hebrew language. Nobody was really speaking Hebrew except, uh, except on a religious level. Um, uh, for you know 1800 years or so and now and now all of Israel speaks Hebrew um, the choosing of the name of the country is also interesting there's a, a, a story in our book about how the name Israel was chosen because you would think today it's like oh of course when the Jewish people return it's going to be called the nation of Israel um, but there was a debate it was they were saying should we call this place um, Judea the entire land should we call right. this place Judea should we call this place um, I think Zionia, like Zion, oh, like really? Zionia. 
um, there was a list of, of at least a half a dozen names that they were that they were uh, I think Eber might have been one. So so they they really had to have this this uh, this discussion about what what the name was going to be called of, of the country. Um, we have the 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 creation of the flag and this quote. You've got the flag behind you. Uh, the the you know the the blue and white and the star of David on the flag. That was really you know the people of Israel in the early days were like you know what what is our flag going to be? And it's really modeled after the talit after the prayer shawl. And Correct. so when when they see the flag blowing, and even some of your listeners may have an Israeli flag in their backyard or in their office or something. Um, when you look at the flag of the nation, it really calls to mind prayer and the symbol uh, wow. is, is uh, nice. with and the shield of David being there with the star of David. Correct. Um, so yeah, this whole rebirth thing is prophetic, and so it's called the Believer's Guide to the Rebirth of the promised land, because it's, it's, I also want to make it clear on the, on the cover of the book that this is not a secular book. There's a lot of secular material out there that's saying, you know, did King David really exist or um, uh, can we trust uh, the new Testament and things like that for believer, for Christians. Um, And I wanted to make it clear on the, on the cover of the book that this is, this book is all about God. So when you read this book, this is not a secular book about Israel. Um, you will, if you are a believer, you're going to enjoy the, the the biblical ties on every single page. Right. In your own in your own material, I actually feel like it may be a misnomer, but in your own material, it's refer. It's a by the way, it's a 262 page book. It's a this is a serious hardcover. You refer to it as a coffee table book, and I I actually don't think so because. There's too much content. Coffee table books are something you flip through. This is something you interact with. You've got, you've got beautiful, the, the stunning, breathtaking pictures, old ones that ones of your own, and then classic black and white ones from the, from the early rebirth of the land. And then you've got uh, a bunch of narrative that helps people understand it. And that's, that's very in depth. It's very, very well done. And then you intersperse it with Christ, with scripture. And then stories of uh, not biblical, but but of um, early Christian Zionists and modern Christian Zionists. It's re- I mean, you've got multi dimensions to the extent that we're having a visual conversation through the media of audio. It's very hard to do. But this is a multi dimensional um, experience. And I just want to let people know what they're in for. But let me ask you a question about the name again. Rebirth. You know, I'm an Orthodox Jew. And the, the title is The Believer's Guide. Okay, we know who the book is for and, and Rebirth of the Promised Land. Is there a, is there a, uh, oh, I just lost the, the, the French, a, a um, uh, I forgot the word. Um, is there a double entendre in the use of the word rebirth? Are you also, is that also speaking to Christians who are born again? Not necessarily, although you could use the, you could use the same word, you know, re- rebirth or born again uh, to apply to some of this stuff. Like the, like the language has been born again. The land has been born again, where meaning it was it was vibrant. And then it and then the land died for such a long time. And then the land uh, returned back to life. So you could it, you could refer to it that way for sure. OK, cool. Um, on that note, let's just. Uh... Take another quick break and uh, come back in, a, in a, about 30 seconds. I want to pause in the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed, keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill, they are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash bless a soldier that's genesis 123.co slash bless a soldier and when you do you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings 
to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people. Please join us. Okay. So, uh, David, uh, as I said at the outset, I'm just having so much fun. Uh, (laughs) I just feel like it was that last time we were together in Nashville in person, just not in person. But it's a lot of fun. Um, Thanks. You, you start, the, you, you were mentioning the history, and, and it's, in a sense, it's very chronological. The first, the, the, the book opens up in a place called Elon More. Now, I know what that's about, but for people who've never heard those two words or knew that there's a place called that, why? Uh, the prologue of the movie and the prologue of the book opens up on a mountain peak in the middle of the country called Elon More, and it's a gorgeous place to visit because it's it's undeveloped so it looks similar to how it would have looked um oh gosh what are we talking about 3500 years ago because Elon Murray was the was the place in Genesis I think it's oh gosh I think it's Genesis 6 is it Genesis no it's Genesis 12 I'm so sorry <laughs> Genesis 12 so uh what's a, what's a couple of chapters between friends <laughs> so Elon Murray is is so important to the story of Israel, the story of the Jewish people, because this was the place as Abraham was following the word of God and doing what he said and coming into the land for the very first time. This was the very place where God said, okay, stop and now look around. And so he would have been on the peak of this place, of this mountaintop, Elon Murray. And this is the place where God says, this is the land that I'm going to give to you and your ancestors. Uh, and then he he promises to protect Abraham and his ancestors. And so it's really, uh, you know, I hadn't, maybe it's like the Plymouth Rock. Of wow, Israel, nice. You know, uh, nice. because and this for, was, it's. And, and by the way, for non-Americans who didn't grow up learning that as you and I did, <laughs> Plymouth Rock is where the uh, pilgrims, if you the will, landed, the people right. fleeing uh, the British rule uh, landed their, their boats in what year? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> a while ago, a few hundred years ago. But and then in Plymouth Rock, and there was a religious aspect even to, to Plymouth Rock because they got off. They you know they offered Thanksgiving. Correct. To it was like an altar. Rock. So so yeah. So Elon Murray, we have uh, we have a grandfather and his grandchildren that come up there. Rise the sun is rising, and uh, and he he's sort of a connector to uh, to this story because it's Elon Murray is important for for him and his family. And it's also important for uh, Israel and the entire nation of the Jewish people. So, yeah, so it opens up at this place that I hope more people get to visit. It's it's accessible, but it's also in the middle of uh, it's in Samaria. It's in the mountains of of, of Israel. So it's it, it, a lot of the tour groups don't make that a destination. And you've already talked about you mentioned Samaria. That's the northern part of Judea and Samaria also known as the West Bank with Jerusalem sort of in the middle. Um, you, you mentioned the whole redefining of it and, and, and uh, obviously underscoring the fact that it is not just part of Israel, it's, it's the, the, the heart of Israel. Um, what, what other reasons have you been focusing on Judea and Samaria in, the, in this book and film particularly? You know, the... There are specific prophecies just for Judea, Samaria, uh, in the, and it's in the book. In, in the middle, I think it's in the middle of Ezekiel, God talks about, uh, talks about the mountains of Israel. So the mountains of Israel would not be the coast um, or, the, or the southern desert. The mountains of Israel would be what Jonathan's talking about, the, the heart, the middle. Um, and it would also include Jerusalem, but the right. mountains of Israel. And God has specific prophecies for the for Judea Samaria the mountains of Israel and he and he says that this this is going to be a place where the nations of the world is going to mock this place but even though that they they will mock the mountains of Israel there will come a time where the people of Israel will return and plant vineyards and build houses and that and that the destiny of the mountains of Israel is going to be uh, a, a thing of flourishing and redemption and God is going to, is going to, is going to change things from, from the mountains of Israel. And so we really focus because when people say that they're pro-Israel, um, uh, I don't, I'm not exact, you know, you have to kind of be specific because pro-Israel can mean, you know, we just we're pro, we're pro Tel Aviv and we're pro the areas that Israel 
um, according to the world of what Israel means, I guess. Right. Or the startup um, nation, the technology part, but not, yeah. but, you know, it's so fascinating when you talk about this. It's again, even though you're not a novice anymore, it's just with such a clean, fresh eye, because of course, when you talk about the mountains of Israel, there is no other place, but I've, I've never even th- thought of it that way. So of course it has to be here. There's no other, there's no other place. And, and people, and, and people who haven't been here don't necessarily know that. But even people who have been here don't pay attention to that nuance. And people who live in the mountains of Israel, like me, and know it, just need that extra highlight pen that you just did, reminding us that, of course, these prophecies are referring to this part of the land, not, not uniquely and not that the rest of it isn't valid, but you can't cut out the heart of Israel and and still be have integrity of the land of Israel. And that, and I think it's in the middle of Ezekiel. I, I think it's in that area, 35, 36, 37. And those prophecies are what we're, Correct. What we're seeing right now. Correct. Uh, Amazing. What we've been seeing for the last 50 years. When I was right before, after I saw you, I don't remember uh, right, right, right before I saw you, I was speaking at a conference in Nashville, the Faith and Freedom Coalition Road to Majority, and I, they asked me to speak about prophecy. Now, pe- people who know me know that that's not really my thing. I can, I can rattle off a list just like anyone else, and, and it's not insignificant. There's a great list, and, and that's fantastic. But I said, no, 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 I'm not going to talk about prophecy on a theoretical basis. I'm going to talk about the prophecies that I live, exactly what you just said. When yeah. I, we, we downsized uh, almost two years ago and moved to an apartment, but in our, in our house, we had fruit trees. So we had the ability to taste the prophecy when we would pick plums or apples or, or apricots and grapes and cherries and limes and one other fruit. I forget. I think we had. So it's not, we interact with it before we started, uh, recording this. We were speaking about my grandchildren. And the prophet, we didn't speak about the prophecy of it, but when I take my grandchildren to play in the playground with dozens of other Hebrew speaking Jewish Israeli kids, and you mentioned the, the rebirth of the Hebrew language, it's prophecy, children playing in the streets again. And, and I'm not quite at the old man walking in the streets, but hopefully I'll get to that. And, and that, that means even my old age in the land yeah. is prophetic. It's just, it's just amazing. Um, Thank you for helping people literally see that and, and especially now just hear it and, and, and visualize. We just finished the, um, the fall biblical festival season, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur and Sukkot, which is Feast of Tabernacles, which you mentioned. You, there, there's significant reference in the book to, to the, uh, biblical festivals. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, towards towards the end of the book, after we do a big grand circle tour of the land of Israel, towards the end of the book, we have a chapter that's just dedicated to to the feast days, to the holy days, to starting with the Sabbath and then going through Passover all the way through the Feast of Tabernacles. And um, first of all, as you probably know, Christians are fascinated with the biblical feast days. Um, that's and, crazy. And should be. Years. There's a good reason. Do you want to talk about, I'd love to listen to you to talk about that. What, what, t- can you say what the great reason is? Well, it's biblical. And, and even though we might not, t- 20% of your Bible is not, is not, is not scripture that we reference, although a lot of it's repeated, repeated from, from, Old Testament. And again, I'll use that term freely, even though some people don't like that. Um, When I'm in a church and I'm hearing a pastor preach from the New Testament, I don't want to say most of the time, but a lot of the time I'm hearing, I'm hearing the Torah. I'm hearing the, the Bible that I grew up with that I know. So, so Christians don't understand that. And, and that, and it takes, it takes the interaction that I have with Christians to understand that so much of the Jewish foundation of Christianity, the first century, the first Christians didn't even consider themselves Christians. They were just Jews. And, and they observed the festivals that until the year 70, 
They had the privilege of observing the festivals and bringing offerings in the temple. I mean, that's that blows me away. And so when 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 we read about the festivals, it's not just something as a friend's pastor, or I should say a friend's former pastor once said to her, oh, well, those are the Jewish festivals. No, they're God's festivals. And if you're paying attention to the Bible and all of those festivals are appointed based on God's calendar, which is which is the only really significant calendar. Of course, we can talk about the fact that it's October 2020, uh, 2022, and we, we all observe the Gregorian calendar, except in North Korea, uh, then then that's fine. But the the if we're if we're Bible oriented Jews and Christians, the calendar and the festivals that are built into the calendar have to be significant. Now you don't have to observe them the same way we do, but it, it, I feel, and I say this quietly among friends, so we're just going to pretend that no one else is listening. And it's not inaccurate. I just don't want to be offensive. I think that that Christianity was hijacked in the first, second, third century, and all of that was ripped away. And and now that Christians are coming back to that awareness. It's just, I think it adds so much dimension to your faith. How'd I do? I mean, I just love hearing you talk about that. And for that was just so fun to hear that. Part of it is because there's there's just a lot of Christians out there that want um want to be allowed, want want the blessing of you guys in order to participate in some of these things. Uh, and again, not at the huh. not at the level that the that the people of Israel would do them not at that at that same level but just to be a part just to come alongside just to grab the talit of the Jew and say hey yeah. can we celebrate with you well, um, but by the way full disclosure and I know you know this and anyone who follows even if they if I've never articulated it I'm edgy about that there are a lot of Jews who don't agree with me and I I but I think that's arguments. okay because like how would they know this is new so the fact that there's a lot, of, well, it's it's old, but it's also new. The fact that there might be Jewish people that say, "Hey, uh, a Christian Passover is like the worst thing that we've ever heard of," I totally understand that because what are they supposed to think? Because I, I mean, how long in recent history? And I understand first century was different, but in recent history, how long have Christians wanted to host a Passover seder at their church? You know, is this twenty years old? Is this? I actually, I, I tell you what I actually think. I think the moment that the shofar was blown on the Temple Mount in 1967, there was a shift, a spiritual shift that happened all over the, that in the Revolutionary War in the United States, we had, we had this thing called the shot heard around the world. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I refer to the moment that the shofar was blown on Mount Zion as the shofar blown, heard around the world. Nice. I think there was a spiritual shift that happened that that is still underway. And um, for the last, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, there has been Christians, not just the United States, all over the world that have wanted to participate in in the biblical uh, festivals. And I also think I think now and also in the future, it is to the fact that that's happening is to the benefit of Israel and the Jewish people. And what I mean is. I'm nodding in violent agreement. Yes. Okay. I'll tell you my theory on this. I don't think somebody that celebrates the Sabbath and does like a, does blessings over their family on Friday night and then celebrates Shabbat anywhere in the world. Um, how can that person, I, I don't think you're going to find somebody that celebrates Shabbat that's a Christian that hates Israel. I think the moment, I think the moment and they say, Hey, this is like a biblical thing. And it's all throughout the New Testament. What if we, uh, celebrate the Sabbath on a, you know, on a, on a certain level, not on, a, not, we wouldn't do it on an Orthodox level, but, uh, we would celebrate Shabbat, um, in our, in our house. I think the moment that they start doing that, they start to think more about Israel, start to think more about the Jewish people. There's like a spiritual connection that happens and it doesn't matter where they live in the world. And I think that's that's really one of the reasons I put that in the book, not just the Sabbath, but all of the festival days, because wherever you are in the world, if you are participating in some level, having a party or celebrating it with your family, the Feast of Tabernacles and a Passover Seder and the Sabbath, I think that is a it's a it's a tangible and also a spiritual way of connecting with Israel wherever you are 
And I think the more the more Christians that do it, the more pro-Israel people are going to be. In the world. I, I tend to agree with you 99.5%. And the 0.5 that I don't agree is that some people not out of not out of any ulterior bad motive, but just out of ignorance will reframe a lot of this through a prism that they can understand. And, and, and that's, by the way, that's legitimate, but it's so distant in some cases from anything that's traditional Jewish. And I would say biblical that it kind that, that that's where you'll find a preponderance of Jews saying, Oh no, that's yucky. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll just share. We're, we're on a little bit of a tangent, but it's a good one. I remember somebody sharing with me about the symbolism of the matzah on Passover because the lines in the matzah are in the shape of a cross and, and the bubbles are pierced like Jesus's body. Now, all of that was very interesting. And if Christian can relate to matzah as underscoring his or her faith, I'm all for that. But the funny thing is that's only relevant in the last 50, 60, 75 years since the advent of machine-made matzah. And before then, there was no such thing. And there was not a shape of a cross. There was a, this is just how you bake it. And and so some people will say, oh, come on, that's a little ridiculous. And then other things, um, which, by the way, for me, just open dialogue. And and we can agree to disagree, but we can learn and hear from one another. And I therefore, I think it's so important that you put Shabbat and you put the festivals and that people understand that. Let me, let me, um, not digress, but folk hone in on one particular thing and, and begin to wrap up. One of the things, the, the book is so good visually and, and you wrote in, in, in something that I read that it's important as a, as a means to teach children the reality of the Bible. Now I want you to talk about why that is because it's your book. But I want to, but I want to just say how important that is in a world that we're living where, yeah, you've got, since that shofar heard around the world, Christians waking up to the significance of Israel and the, fe- and the festivals and everything biblical that God is, is helping us connect the dots. But now in the last year and a half, two years, you've got surveys showing that young Christians are turning away from Israel. Their support has decreased according to statistics, by 50%. So why is that especially significant that your book, what what do you want a, par- a parent or grandparent who doesn't want their child or grandchild to, to turn away from Israel, to take out of hearing about the book and then getting a copy? I guess because it's so visual, um, you know, every there's, there's, there's big photo spreads throughout the book and there's, and there's pictures of modern Israel and there's a number of pictures of the return of the Jewish people from a hundred years ago. But I think because it's so visual, um, if you were teaching your children about Abraham, you could show them images of the first place where he stopped in the land. You could show them your children images of the place where Abraham is buried with his, with his right, entire family. Right. Um, you that was a good picture, them, by the way, that struck that, that the, the, the picture of the tomb of the patriarchs struck, caught my eye. Oh, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and again, that, that's also a place where that's not a big tourist destination. It's right. such an important place that the, in Hebron, but it's not a place where, uh, cause it's, you know, there's tension there. So a lot of people don't actually get to visit. Um, to show what the Sea of Galilee looks like at sunrise, to show what uh, Jerusalem and the Temple Mount look like, to show the the visual proof of prophecy with the vineyards in full bloom and the grapes on the vineyards. Um, somebody that is teaching their children, even if they're very young, uh, about the Bible stories and the Bible characters, they can they can use this book uh, and say, "This is what this looks like," and this is what that looks like so that it's, that it's, it's real that it's not just a fantasy or a story i remember hearing from a pastor once in fiji who when he first came to israel he didn't understand that israel was a real place it was just yeah it was a fantasy yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um 
that's I think that's more common. Uh, and and also, you know, we have a lot of just historical stuff in the book that the 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 people that say, oh, the Bible didn't these people never lived, and this is all you know mythology and stuff, don't really have enough um, uh, have enough evidence to. To, to really back that up. Wow. And good. So, good. So, yeah. So that we just, I say that about being able to teach children because it's so visual. The book is so visual that, that they can just immediately see something and say, Oh yeah, of course that that's real. That's, that's just as real as anything else. So what we're saying is Christmas is coming up and everyone should buy a copy of the book for their children and grandchildren, basically. Right. And it's a companion piece to the film. So the they film. can, so you can have, you can have uh, a film and a book at the same time. Yes. And the film fits into a stocking much better than a Dave. This has been amazing. I hope everyone has taken out as much of this conversation as I have and always do with you. I want to come back to one question. When we, we, I I mentioned how we had fun together, uh, kind of wrapping up that great program in, in Nashville back in June. And you're, you're a filmmaker. You've got this great, sense you mentioned spielberg you mentioned a couple of other classic films that you grew up with um some biblical themes some modern adventure themes i had asked you a question um talking about and it's important historically that decades ago hollywood you know the 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 capital of filmmaking in the world celebrated israel there were classic movies made like exodus starring Paul Newman and cast the giant shadow with Kirk Douglas and Angie Dickinson and Yul Brynner and John Wayne and Frank Sinatra. I mean, wow, what a, what a crew. And, and there were modern films on the rescue at Entebbe from 1976, uh, Hollywood films, not just the B level Israeli film that there was. And today it seems really hard to imagine that anyone in Hollywood consider, uh, would would consider even thinking about producing such a film. You mentioned a lot of good films. You mentioned a lot of good filmmakers. What's the best Israel-related film other than uh, I Am Israel? Uh, and since we haven't seen the sequel yet, we can't even include that. But what's the best Israel-related film that you've seen that 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 people should see? Can I? T- I remember us talking about that. Right. Do you remember what I said? The, the, this crazy thing. Yep. Go ahead. I said the, the best Christian movie. Yep that's ever come out has been directed by a Jew and the best Jewish movie was directed by a Christian. Do you remember that? I do. That's why I want, I was curious if you would remember because it was a great answer. So enlighten us. What were those films? So, uh, and of course this is, this is a creative discussion, so you can disagree. <laughs> best Christian movie is the Charlton Heston, Ben Hur. Yeah. I think 1959 maybe. Uh, and, was directed by William Wyler, who's a Jewish director, um, one of the great old directors, William Wyler. And the approach that he took towards, cause, cause that takes place in the first century. And so the, the, the approach that he did when it came to portraying Jesus was to not show his face. You, in, oh. in the first Ben Hur movie, every time you would see Jesus portrayed, it would all, the camera would always be over the shoulder. Or it would, so you wouldn't see his face, um, or the, or the camera would be on the individuals that were, that were seeing Jesus. And so you would see their expressions. And I think he did that because coming, because he was a Jew. And so he said, okay, if, if, if in our story, this is a divine character in our Ben Hur story, then we wouldn't show his face because that would be, you know, breaking one of the commandments. We wouldn't want to be making a graven image. So therefore, it makes perfect sense. We're not going to show his face in this movie. So I find that really interesting. Um, in terms of the other thing, the best Jewish movie was directed by a Christian. Um, Fiddler on the Roof was actually directed by a man named Norman Jewison, right? Who sounds like the most Jewish Jewish director ever, but he wasn't. He was a he was a Protestant Christian. He may actually still be alive, but he's a Protestant Christian that directed uh, Fiddler on the Roof. When you were speaking um, before about Sukkot and the lights, I was imagining the one of the early scenes from Fiddler. Oh yeah, that's cool. It's such a classic. Um, in terms of what's come out recently, uh, it's hard to say anything that comes from a a Jewish or Christian point of view that's come out recently. The, there is a gorgeous IMAX documentary that's just called Jerusalem, narrated by Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, it's a secular point of view. 
Um, but it's visually, it's just, it's just the best thing that I've ever seen. It was no. shot on IMAX film. So it's really, really gorgeous. Uh, but yeah, that I, it's funny because when biblical material uh, comes out, movies, uh, they always do so well. For the, you know, they always do so well, but, but at the same time, they're not really making them like, like, the, like what they have in the past. Right, right. In the good old day. David, David Kern, this has been a delight personally. I am so excited to, ha- to have you share with all of the inspiration from Zion listeners and followers you know, about you, about your, literally your vision and, and how we get to see that. And, um, I, I, I feel like I have uh, the, 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 the advantage of knowing you and literally seeing you as we're speaking, but, but also th- your, your product. But I think that people are going to, I hope people are really excited and, and motivated to, to reach out, to get a copy of the book, to get a copy of uh, the film, um, and, and to see what, other great things that you'll be uh, producing. Thank you, Jonathan. This is super fun. It's been a delight. I want to wrap up. Now we always end telling people if, uh, if they've stayed with us this long, they deserve a reward. And anyone who's listened to this knows that this is where I give that unique pitch for offering a, a copy of a book, uh, what we call from Jonathan's bookshelf. And this, yes, ladies and gentlemen, this month, thank you to David Kern. We are giving away a copy, not just of the book. I am Israel. The Believer's Guide to the Rebirth of the Promised Land, but a copy of the film as well. And all we ask is that you go to the Inspiration from Zion social media and like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And when you comment and share the link to these to this program, we are going to select one person at random to receive a copy of David's book and film. So we're excited to send send that to one of you uh, in the in the coming weeks. Uh, we're also always grateful that the podcast is sponsored by our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're ever in the area and want to pop in and say hi and thank them for helping make this program and conversations like this possible, please do. And also special thanks to the Coin family for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all of the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and build bridges between Jews and Christians. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode of Inspiration from Zion in honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion or just a film that you love, please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We're always thrilled to hear your comments as part of the dialogue and invite you to send any questions, especially questions you have about traditional Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this program with others who you know will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy and send my blessings from right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.